Welcome to the podcast of 10-Minute Theology, an attempt to think carefully and critically about big questions like God, faith, doubt, and the Bible, all in 10 minutes at a time, with me, Joel Wentz. So I'm going to start this episode with a pretty bold claim, and that is that I think everybody in America needs to stop what they're doing and read the book of Jonah right now. It's uh, If you've been following my podcast at all, you'll know that I, one of the things I like to do is revisit uh, well-worn or familiar passages of ancient scripture and try to see if they have anything to bring to bear on our current situation, if there's any wisdom in there that we miss when we get overly familiar or uh, when we look down our nose at these primitive stories, right? And that's what I want to do with the book of Jonah, but I, I'm jumping to Jonah specifically because of our cultural moment and specifically because I think the way Jonah is commonly taught and popularly understood totally misses the powerful and profound wisdom that the book actually has for us, especially for us today. So I realize that's kind of a big claim to make, is that this this tiny little book about a guy getting swallowed by a big fish has something to say to us, um, but I think that it really does. But before I can really make that claim, I want to go over how the book is usually and generally taught and understood. If you have a background at all like mine, and you grew up in a Sunday school setting or conservative traditional church setting, then you probably are familiar with this story, or maybe even even if you didn't have that background, maybe you're familiar with this story because it's popular enough in terms of scripture accounts. Um, but this is something like this is how the book is usually taught. And I'm going to go over this and then talk about why I don't think this actually gives the big picture. Usually the story Jonah goes something like, Jonah is a prophet, which the implication there immediately is that he is a good man chosen by God. So there's something special about Jonah. He's picked by God to do a specific job. He is called to go to the city of Nineveh, and Nineveh is a dark, shadowy, dangerous, unsafe, nasty place of sin, especially is how it was taught to me. This is a very sinful kind of cesspool, terrible place. You don't want to go there. So Jonah is called to go specifically to Nineveh to bring God's word to Nineveh, to be a prophet there. So God is calling Jonah to do a hard thing because he's calling him to go to a scary, dangerous place, and he does not want to do it. And he is so scared and so against doing this that he runs away. He runs from God. He goes in the direct opposite direction uh, that he's supposed to go, gets on a boat, tries to flee from his job, his calling that God has put on his life. While he's on the boat, a storm comes and nearly sinks the boat, and the, the those on the boat freak out and get worried and trying to figure out what's going on, and so they throw. They eventually find out that he is running away from God, and so they throw him overboard, and this makes the storm stop. Uh, this also precipitates a giant fish swallowing Jonah. It's usually was taught to me as a whale, but it, the book says it's a fish. So some aquatic creature swallows Jonah for three days, And while Jonah is inside this creature, he repents, he prays, he basically says, God, sorry I ran away from this job, I will do what you want me to do, and at which point the fish vomits Jonah back onto the land, Jonah goes to Nineveh, delivers the prophecy, does the job he was supposed to do all along, and Nineveh repents, turns from their wicked ways, they start to worship God, and everything wraps up nice and neat in a bow, and it's everyone lives happily ever after because Jonah finally listened and did what God wanted him to do. End scene. That is how it's usually taught. 
And maybe that's how your understanding of the book of Jonah is currently, because that is the popular understanding of it. The takeaway from this typically is something like God might and possibly will call you to do something very hard, potentially something very scary, maybe even something dangerous, and you better listen. You better do what God calls you to do, even if it's hard. And in fact, the harder it is, maybe the better, because that means God has chosen you for something special, and you therefore are special. This is kind of the lesson, the Sunday school version lesson of Jonah. God might call you to do something big, something hard, something you don't want to do, but you need to do it because running away from God is futile. As we saw in the story of Jonah, God will catch up with you and God will uh, set up circumstances so that you cannot stop running away from him. So just listen to God. (laughs) That's the end of the moral of the story. Just listen to God. Do what God wants you to do. Uh, One of the unintended kind of consequences of that, uh, by the way, I don't think if it's not clear yet, that is not a good reading of this story, which I'll, I'll get to why in a second. But um, one of the unintended consequences of that in my own life was that I was convinced that uh, to be sure that I was hearing correctly from God what I was supposed to do, then it needed to be something scary and bad and something I didn't want to do. Because then that, then I knew it was from God. And in a weird, totally backwards way, that actually was reassuring. It would be reassuring if I had a sense that I was supposed to do something bad and scary and dangerous that I didn't want to do, because then that meant it was actually coming from God. Whereas if I saw, if I wanted to do something that was not scary, uh, or maybe not particularly dangerous or unsafe, then maybe that was just me and my own voice and what I wanted to do in my own head and not not God. So it's really all kinds of twisted stuff. Uh, but this is really what happens when these stories are, are taught in some of these ways, right? They stick with you, especially when you're a kid. So that's the popular story of Jonah. That's the way a lot of people might, if they have any sense of who Jonah is or what the story was, that's maybe how they understand it. But what's wrong with this way of teaching it? Well, two main things are wrong with it. Um, One fairly minor, and then one actually pretty significantly major. Uh, There's probably others, but I'm just kind of trying to, for the case of simplicity, keep it to two things. The first thing that's less of a big deal, um, but still affects your reading of the story, is that this this understanding of the story completely ignores any of the humor, any of the emotions, any of the surprising stuff that's in the story, especially for its time, and uh, of which there's a good bit in this tiny little book. The second and much bigger deal is that it completely ignores chapter four, which is one quarter of the story. It completely cuts it out. In order for the reading I just gave you to make any sense, you cannot even look at chapter four. You can't even look at the last verse of chapter three. Um, You have to cut it off before it ends in order for there to be this happily ever after listen to God moral of the story. So not only are you ignoring it, quarter of the story, but you're actually missing by doing that the entire point of the story, the entire moral thrust, the entire uh, lesson that this story is meant to give is being ignored by that popular reading. So I'm going to get to that in a second, because that is also, not only is that the whole point of the story, but it has something powerful and poignant to say to us in our cultural moment today. So the first thing, though, I want to say a few notes on what what are, what are you missing in the story of Jonah by reading it this way, in the terms of the humor and the emotions. So just a couple a couple notes on this. This is not going to be exhaustive, but in the first chapter, when Jonah's running away, we see uh, this scene where the storm comes up, and it's made very clear that this is a dangerous storm. Like this boat is about to sink, and it's being tossed around to the extent that the crew is throwing things overboard so they don't sink. And what does it say? It says that Jonah had crawled to the innermost sections of the ship and was sleeping. Now, they didn't have cruise liners at this time, obviously. So this is not a huge boat we're talking about here. Um, 
how in the world is Jonah asleep in the middle of all this? Right? This should be a ridiculous image that there you above decks you have men throwing things overboard and yelling and frantically trying to keep the boat afloat. And below decks you have this this guy sleeping. Um, it should be it should be absurd. It should be a strange scene. It doesn't make sense. Either he is uh well, I guess really sound sleeper, uh, or more likely he is willfully ignoring what's happening, and he's probably hiding down in the boat. Uh, also, another quick humorous note is that um, when the men find him and they pull him up to the top, uh, they are interrogating him on who he is, and one of the things they say is, Who's, who is your god? Which is a common kind of ancient Near Eastern thing to be identified with your, your deity. And uh, Jonah says that he lives in awe or in fear or in reverence of Yahweh. And it's like, oh, interesting, Jonah, really you do? Is that why you were running away from the one thing Yahweh told you to do and why you were hiding in the bowels of a ship? Uh, it, sh- it should strike us as kind of absurd and funny. Uh, also, even t- to a more pointed uh, amount, chapter 3, verses 4, 5, and 6 uh, tell the account of when Jonah finally makes it to Nineveh, going over the, the being swallowed and being vomited back on land and all of that, he makes it to Nineveh, and this entire scene is just patently absurd, because it says in, uh, in chapter 3, it says that Nineveh is a huge city, and it takes three days, an important detail, three days to walk across. Jonah goes one day was walk into the city, right? So he's, he is at best kind of going, covering one third of the city. And what is his prophecy? His prophecy is one sentence and it's 40 days more and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's it. 40 days more and Nineveh will be overthrown. This is what his prophecy is to the city, a people group that he's not part of who worship a different God, different gods, different practices, all this stuff. This is his entire prophecy, which this is ridiculous. Not only is he only one third of covering the city, he's saying one sentence that doesn't mention God, doesn't mention who he is, how he knows this, how he has any authority to even say something as as extreme as 40 days more and your city is going to be overthrown. Uh, Nothing like that. And so that's absurd, right? That's just ridiculous that the way that he thinks he is fulfilling his job. But even more so is the response of the city. The city goes into complete, uh, complete fits to repent, to respond to this half-hearted at best prophecy to the extent that the king orders a fast, fasting from water and food, not only for the people, but even for the animals and livestock. And everyone is supposed to wear sackcloth, which was a mark of repentance. And even, and this is probably the weirdest part, they're even supposed to put sackcloth on the animals, right? Who are fasting from water, uh, apparently. This is crazy. I mean, this is like a, this, this should be the prophet, the prophet's like a best case scenario that, that everyone listens without any fight, without any questions. And they listen to an extreme response, like to, to an extreme extent, they, they repent immediately and put sackcloth on their animals. I mean, this should be, this should be a funny picture. It's almost like a, it almost feels like a parody. Like this is crazy. This doesn't happen. This, this never happens, especially, especially think this was a book to Israelites. This was a book written for Jewish holy text. They would have also had all the accounts of their own prophets prophesying to them, who were the people who were supposed to be following and worshiping Yahweh, and they didn't listen to their own prophets. Nothing like, they never responded in anything like this to their own prophecies, which were much more in-depth and much more powerful and authoritative than Jonah's one sentence, 40 days more and your city will be overthrown. So imagine reading this and having that in your mind. I mean, this is just supposed to be hyperbolic, it's supposed to be extreme, it's supposed to be frankly, hard to believe that this is happening. 
It's and it's supposed to be kind of funny. Like there is supposed to be some humor in this. And you miss that when you teach the story kind of in that overly simple moralized way of don't run from God when he has a hard calling on your life. But now I want to end on this point because this is really the heartbeat of the story is chapter four. And tra- this is actually tragic. This is more serious of a misreading. This is a, this is a serious casualty of the way the story is taught because chapter four completely contains the entire lesson that we're supposed to get from the book of Jonah and why it's so relevant today. Because you see, at the end of chapter 3, it says that when after Nineveh had repented and God had mercy on them, uh, it says that God saw their actions, God relented of what he was going to do, what he told Jonah he was going to do. And what is Jonah's response? Different translations wrestle with this in different ways, but they say something along the lines of, Jonah was enraged. Jonah is angry. Jonah can't believe this is happening. This is not what Jonah wanted to see happen. And this is when we start to get to see a glimpse into Jonah, who Jonah really is. Because you see, Jonah Jonah did not have such uh, simple motives for running away from God. When you get into uh, verse 2 and 3 of chapter 4, it says very clearly, Jonah, Jonah makes his motives very explicit to God. He says, isn't this what I knew would happen? Isn't this what I said? In fact, this is exactly why I fled to Tarshish, because I knew that you are a God who is abundant in compassion and slow to anger, quick to forgive, that that common refrain that goes through the whole Old Testament. By the way, that's the most repeated thing about God, is he's slow to anger, abundant in compassionate love and forgiveness. Um, Jonah says, that's why I ran away, because I knew if they relented and repented that you would not punish them. I knew that, and that's why I didn't want to do this in the first place. And this is this is where Jonah suddenly moves from this kind of flat archetype prophet hero figure to a much more complicated, relatable character in the story, because Jonah has enemies that he, he's determined, they are my enemies, and I want them to be punished. I do not want to see them have mercy showered upon them. I want God to deliver judgment. And when God doesn't, Jonah gets upset. And this, oh man, this is relatable to us today at any time, but especially today in the toxic and divided and antagonistic culture we find ourselves in where we are so ready to tear each other's throats apart uh, based on especially political stances, right? But who are your enemies? How can you relate to Jonah in this story? Are your enemies the Trump supporters? Are your enemies the uh, people who are Black Lives Matter activists or Me Too activists? Uh, Who are those people that you, if you're in an honest moment, you would want to see get punished? Whether or not you even believe in God, I think it is beside the point to an extent for this question, because we all can relate to this feeling just like Jonah. Who are the people that you uh, do not want to see get forgiven? Who are the people that you do not want to see compassion uh, given to? And those are precisely, precisely maybe the people that you should be in relationship with. Those are precisely the people that you should... uh, if you're the praying type, pray for a softer heart for. Those are the people that you should uh, hope that you can get to a point where you would rejoice to see compassion on them. Now, I'm not saying give up your convictions, and Jonah's not saying that either. The rest of the scriptures are very clear on that. Do not give up your convictions about justice and about uh, seeing the, the wrongs put to right. But when people are your enemy, and when you want to be the arbiter of punishment and vengeance and justice on them, then the book of Jonah 
should be a convicting book to read. And in, more than that, I think it's the exact book that we need to be reading right now. So I'm going to wrap this podcast up by saying, put down your earbuds and read the book of Jonah. It is definitely worth your time. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you enjoyed this brief 10-minute reflection, and I also hope that it provoked some deeper thinking and maybe even stirred up some questions for you. If you're interested in this kind of content, you can check out my website and my blog at joelwentz.com, and you can look me up on various social media uh, outlets. And of course, you can always subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. Take care.